This is Chicago's College Tailgate. Tailgate. Shay Norley and Tyler Atkins. Shay and Tyler on ESPN Chicago. Good morning and welcome on in to Chicago's College Tailgates. Alongside Shay Norley, I'm Tyler Rocky. We're breaking down a fantastic slate of championship weekend games as we wrap up the regular season and start to tread into the playoff as we'll have those four teams set for tomorrow. But, uh, Shay, it was quite the the game in the Pac-12 championship last night. And you have many thoughts here. But first, I do want to thank our friends over at Twin Peaks who have been bringing you Chicago's College Tailgate all season long. We've had a lot of fun talking college football, breaking everything down every single week. But this was your game last night. This was the game you had so much on the line for. Your Oregon Ducks, your pet team of the year. Bo Nix, your 35-1 to Heisman. Up in flames. And it just slipped through your fingertips. You know, I got to thank. Like, I thought I'd wake up angry. I thought I would come in here and I'd be shouting from the rafters about how upset I was about what happened. And last night, like, it hurt. (laughs) <laughs> but then I went to sleep, and I woke up this morning, and I go, I, I listen, I'm still hurting, but I'm not angry about it. Because it sucks, man. Like, Bo Nix played well enough to win the game and win the Heisman Trophy. Mm-hmm. And the defense just let him down. Like, that's really what happened. And look, coming out and going three out of three, three and outs in your first four drives, not great. That's not good enough in the first half. But from, like... The final drive of the first half to the end of the game, I felt like Oregon was the better team again. And it's just defensively, third and nine, you can't get a stop. Like, how many third down conversions? Dylan Johnson's still running. Mm -hmm. It it just, watching it felt like watching myself slowly die. (laughs) And That graphic. Dude, it was like I'm in a hospice, or like I'm in, in a coma, and... There's a brief moment when it's 24-21 where I'm waking up, and I'm back at it. Like, welcome back to the world. I feel good. Oregon's going to win the game. Even at 27-24, Oregon gets the ball back. And I'm like, we're good, man. Like, 31-27 final, we're set. And then you go three and out. Now, the touchdown at the end, for a moment, I thought I was going to get back involved. But here's the issue for me. This whole thing conspired to be one cosmic kick in the balls. Every god that anyone has ever believed in had a nice little meeting somewhere going, how can we kick Shay Norling in the balls? I got this guy after the Washington loss, 35-1 to to win the Heisman. I ride with my Ducks, who I had adopted this year as my pet national title favorite, through a series of ass-kickings to the end of the season, clinch their way back into the Pac-12 title, rematch with Washington, and you always feel good in a rematch if you lost the first game because just typically in college football, that's how things work out. And I'm feeling good yesterday, entering the day with Bo Nix as a minus 200 Heisman favorite and a 10-point favorite in the game. And before my ass hit the cushion, it's 20-3. to And I'm dead. 
And it's just, and then Oregon comes back, and it's 24-21, and they have the football, and I'm sitting there, and I'm going, they're going to cover the nine and a half. Somehow they're going to cover the big number and win the game. This is great. Oh, how about back-to-back interceptions? How about the yeah. another three and out, another punt for Oregon? It was just like they had to script this out to be the most painful possible process for me sitting in my living room with this ticket. And I feel like an extra dumb person because on a recap episode, I stupidly decided I wasn't going to hedge. And I'm sitting there going, boy, I could have just bombed Washington in the 10, and I'd be sitting pretty right now. Wow. <laughs> you were hurting today. I got a picture from Pottinger of you just sitting on the front step here of the, the studio and, and just looking all dejected and all that. I so was. sad. So I sad. am. Dude. I felt bad. I felt horrible. Think about where we are in sports. Like, the Bears, I I hope that they can get hot and end the season strong, but that's my lone source of football joy now. My college football program ejected the head coach for uh, another word that starts with EJ on a phone. I... I can't enjoy my program. I adopt Oregon because they're cool and fun, and this Bo Nix story's good, and I like Dan Lanning, and they give me this thrill ride with a huge ticket to the end, and then last night happens. And it's just, where am I going to get joy out of sports? Is it too much to ask? So who's your team now? Who cares? What do you mean, who cares? You've got a team now. You'll flip. I know you. You'll find another team to root for. Here's the deal. Come on. Here's the deal. I have a 25-1 to preseason national title ticket on the Florida State Seminoles. I don't believe in the Florida State Seminoles. <laughs> Nobody believes in them. They're terrible. They lo- their quarterback died. No fault of their own. Like, it is what it is. The guy went out, broke his leg. If they still had him, could they win a national title? Sure. Instead, you've got Tate Rodemaker as a game-time decision. And third-string true freshman Brock Glenn is the emergency quarterback today for the Knowles. And it's like, all right, well, they're done. But now they're all I have. That's all I have to root for is this carcass of Florida State to win a national title. To try to limp into the playoff. They play Louisville uh, later today. Uh, getting back to Washington. So they've punched their ticket. They're in the playoff now, 13-0. and They are the final Pac-12 champion. How about that? Our last Pac-12 after dark was last night. Maybe not like too far after dark. We're not. It's not the the nine o'clock kickoff, but that's the last we're gonna get there of these Pac-12 teams duking it out late night. I love the Friday game as well for the Pac-12 championship. I just think it fits the football weekend yeah. tremendously. Um, How but- about the likelihood of a Michigan Washington Rose Bowl? One final Big Ten Pac-12 Rose Bowl. So I was gonna bring up Washington's outlook now in the playoff because they're in. Michigan is pretty much sealed their way in as well. Um, we'll see what happens in the SEC championship today. That could ruffle things up. That is something that you and I have talked about. The committee must actively be rooting for Georgia. Absolutely. To make the test as easy as possible for them. Um, but just the way that Washington has kind of gone about their business this, the last, what, five weeks, really, and just passed test after test after test that have been thrown their way. You know, you looked at a lot of the hypothetical lines between Washington and teams like 
Georgia or Michigan and and what those would be. And Washington was a pretty severe underdog in a lot of those. I don't think they should be. You look yeah, at the way that they, they've played these last couple of weeks and the way that they've gone about, like, we've talked about it all season long with them. They've been so situationally good all season long. And it's why they're 13-0 and a Pac-12 champion and going to the college football playoff. I, it, just the hindsight of last night, too. Like, the fact that they were a 10-point dog to Oregon, who just looked like such the better team down the stretch of the season. And honestly, in my opinion in a lot of the game last night. Now, th- take out the open and the end of the fourth quarter. Like, Oregon started to stress what they do well. Mm-hmm. It's just Washington somehow finds ways to survive these spots. They're like a better version of last year's Minnesota Vikings. They're going to drag themselves into hell positions where you don't necessarily want to be. Like, you don't want to be up 22, whatever they were, like, almost 20 points against Oregon State and have to win that game 22-20. Mm-hmm. That's not ideal. You don't want to be surviving the Apple Cup with a last-second field goal yeah. and Michael Penix head in the cart. like that. You, you don't want to be in those positions. You don't want... Up 34-24 last night. You don't want to have to sweat first downs and the potential of Oregon getting the ball back with a chance to tie or win the game. But they keep getting into those spots, and they keep surviving them. And I think it's become really impressive. You know what the biggest play of the game was yesterday? The moment what like, it started to look like, all right, they're going to blow this 20-3 to game, and they're going to be kicking themselves for what this season was. Because it was kind of, it felt like, oh, is this just, we've been waiting for the bomb to explode here with this team. The biggest play of the game, by far, was the interception. Yeah, to to go out, your quarterback throws an interception. You give good field position to the Ducks going the other way, and two plays later, you get one yourself. To, for against a quarterback who has not turned the ball over this he year, had two interceptions all season. And honestly, I felt bad for him on that one because he threw the ball to a spot where it looked like the guy was uncovered. The cornerback's out of bounds. Yeah, cornerback sitting on the sideline runs back in. By the way, that. If it's illegal for the offensive player to run out of bounds, come back in and grab the ball, it should be illegal for the defensive player to do it. Why why is it that way? I think the way that should be officiated is that as long as you reestablish yourself back in bounds, you're good. And no matter which side of the ball ball you're on. And I think also like you can't use out of bounds. Like I know they call this on special teams a lot. You can't run out 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 of bounds to try to. You can't run the side space. Yeah, yeah. Mm hmm. I mean, that's it's just to me, uh, whatever. It is what it is. You're right. It was the biggest play of the game. That and the Jalen McMillan first down. Yeah. That was huge. I mean, and I'm sitting there watching, and I'm going, the only people who don't realize that Washington's going to throw the ball are Dan Lanning and the defensive coordinator. Because I'm like, they're lined up stacked. You've got this safety man-to-man on Jalen McMillan, and it's like, just please press. Everybody in the building knows they're throwing, except for you guys, apparently. And it wound up being a first down. That's the thing, though, about Washington and Penix. That's the play they've made all season. Yes. Mm-hmm. You think about the end of the Oregon game, the, the uh, or the Oregon State game. Oregon State, yeah. The throw to Roma Dunze on a mm-hmm. third down when you needed it to ice it. Like, every time they've been in those positions, they make that play. And I was talking with Pottinger before the show. Penix still really hasn't looked great. Like he's getting this Heisman bump after last night and yeah, he's Heisman still like level 11 performance. To one, right? Like, yeah, I know. He's not yeah. going to win it. Jaden mm-hmm. Daniels is going to win the Heisman. But my point is, like, Penix still hasn't looked great. But it's just 
You put that guy in a critical situation on a critical down, he's going to execute. You know, he's not going to win it, but he has more Heisman moments than anybody. And I don't think it's really that close. Like, Jaden Daniels has the numbers and the total body of work. Like, he's putting on a historic run this season. But if you get down to, like, if you're not box score checking, if you're, like, watching every single one of these games, the moments this guy puts together, by far, like, if they had a a stat for, quote-unquote, Heisman moments, this guy would be leading the entire nation by a hefty sum at this point. And the other thing with Jaden Daniels, and I don't want to get too lost in a Heisman combo, but it will bother me a little bit when Jaden Daniels wins it, and he is going to win it. Mm I, 50 touchdowns is an incredible accomplishment. Nobody should take away how you got them, but 13 of them came against Grambling and Georgia State. And it's like neither Penix or Knicks had that softness. Penix played Portland State, sure, but he only threw three touchdowns. Yeah, They didn't leave him in. He, they took him out. Ty Thompson out, yeah. was in the majority mm-hmm. of that game. They, they dropped 81 points that game, I want to say. I, it was in the my, 80s. Was it 90? I thought it was oh. 90. Let's look at this duck schedule. Uh, eighty-one, yeah, eighty-one to seven that game. So, um, just what, the Heisman's going to yeah. be odd because it's it's two guys I think who played real tough schedules in the Pac-12. Incredible quarterback play from both of them, and then Jaden Daniels, who lost all of his games that really mattered, and kind of padded stats against Grambling and Georgia State, and an Ole Miss defense that is a figment of our imagination, and. Yeah. It just in it, fairness, it is what though, it is. his losses weren't on him. No, of course not. His defense, I mean, his defense is horrid. Yeah, his defense was, and that wasn't a problem nothing. for Caleb when he won mm-hmm. it. So it shouldn't be a problem for Dan. Again, Daniels is going to win the Heisman, and I'm fine with it. He had a borderline historic season, and Knicks blew it. They showed some of the side by side numbers of him and Joe Burrow when Joe Burrow in 2019 lit the world on fire in college football, like. Jaden Daniels, if he had that 2019 LSU defense, we're talking about this team as by far and away the favorite to win the college football playoff. You'd think. You'd think be, like they, they were preseason five, LSU. Yeah. That's, and they brought in so many tra- – look, if there's a team that's got to get right, Brian Kelly's got to get right at LSU. Yeah. You brought in so many defensive transfers for that defense to stink. Yeah. This but, transfer portal, by the way. Oh, boy. We should talk about that because there are a number of names that have gotten uh, that we've seen enter the portal here in the early stages of this offseason. And it could completely shake up how we look at next year. Completely shake up because, I mean, you're talking about guys who are like top five prospects last year in the recruiting class. And yeah. they're hitting the portal. Yeah. Like that's big time stuff there. This is so. this is not the sport that I grew up watching, no. but it, yeah, no changing it now. It's kind of fun. Pedal to the metal. Kind of love it. All right. When we come back, we will start to dive into more of the previews for today's college football championships across the board. This is Chicago's College Tailgate. Chicago's College Tailgate returns in a flash on ESPN Chicago. Now back to the show. Chicago's College Tailgate has it all with Shay and Tyler on ESPN Chicago. College tailgate presented by Twin Peaks. Tyler Rocky, Shane Norling, talking college football with you every single Saturday throughout the season. And don't forget, we will have.
have the recap podcast for you on Monday where we break down all of the action that we saw from over the weekend. So all these games that we're talking about today for championship weekend, we will break down what we saw with you. So subscribe to the Chicago's College Tailgate podcast wherever you get your podcast. All right. Three o'clock today is the big one. Georgia and oh. Bama. This is the game that, boy, th- this could cause all hell to break loose if Alabama finds a way to win. Right now they are five-point underdogs in the game down in Atlanta today. But you look at the way that Bama's played the last, what, now 10 weeks we're talking about is the sample size for this team. They have put together quite the impressive resume and quite the impressive turnaround ever since that week two loss against Texas. But Georgia, on the other hand, they're a team who... They're undefeated right now. They play a, a close game against Georgia Tech. Felt very look ahead by... They didn't play people either. They, yeah, like Brock Bowers didn't play in this game. It felt like everything. Coaching staff was clearly looking ahead. Players were looking ahead. I mean, think Bama was a fourth and 31 away from yeah, losing from this game to not meaning Auburn. Anything. Yeah, and this game becoming empty. Yeah. So, it, like, I think both teams were in big look-ahead spots last week, and now it's time for business. Yeah. Anyway, but getting into this game here, like, Georgia's just found a way to flip the switch when they've needed to this season. You look at the Tennessee game, crushed them. Ole Miss, that was a burial there. Um, Nine-point win against Mizzou to start off the, that gauntlet of three games as well. And the game before that, at the the world's greatest outdoor cocktail party, you win that by 23. Earlier this year, you play Kentucky when they've got a number next to their name. You blow them out 51 to 13. Like, this team has just found ways to absolutely crush teams when they've needed to this year. And that's why their strength of record and the resume and everything looks pretty good at when we get to this point, even though it was a very sleepy start and we thought it was a ticking time bomb for them. Here's the problem. Nobody crushes Bama. Nobody crushes Bama. And this game, I I just feel like, is always close. When Bama and Georgia meet, and seemingly Georgia never beats Bama in the conference title game. They've beaten them in the national title game. That that Mm -hmm. monkey's off the back. But this has always been a struggle. And nobody's going to crush Bama. I don't think this Bama team is vintage. I don't think that they're what people expect. Like, if this is your first time all year turning on your television and watching college football, you would expect Alabama to have a first-round talent at quarterback, maybe multiple first-round wide receiver talents, mm-hmm. a bunch of first-round offensive linemen, an entire defensive line of first, second-round guys, a defensive backfield filled with NFL t- You're not getting that. No. You're getting an Alabama that has a ton of very high-floor players. What is their two... Bama players that are probably in in a, a first round grade this year. Dallas Turner for sure, mm-hmm. and then Kool Aid McKinstry will probably be a first rounder. He, he he probably will, but I, he's he I, he's not good. I don't I don't, I don't care That's about fine, cool. but he, maybe Malachi Moore works his way in there. He's been okay, but it's just like you look at this team. Jermaine Burton's their leading receiver. He's not sniffing a thousand yards. Yeah. Not even sniffing it. Here's the and thing. The, he, they, this team could go to the playoff, and he still might not get 1,000 for the year. Right. <laughs> and like Jalen Milrow, I'll say 
if he had played early in the year the way he's played the last four weeks, he would win the Heisman Trophy. But he hasn't put it together for a full season, and I think it took a while for Saban and this coaching staff, Tommy Reese, the OC, to figure out what was going to work. But now you go up against Georgia and Atlanta, SEC title, and in a very weird flip, I think while the committee is rooting for Georgia, America is rooting for Alabama. Because we want to see the most difficult test possible be handed to this committee. Otherwise, I mean, if... If Georgia wins today, it's it's pretty it's standard. It's pretty easy to to map out who are your teams here. But if Bama wins and all hell breaks loose, then you're talking about chaos. I mean, how it all comes down to the most fascinating matrix of how do you sort out Bama, Texas, and Georgia? Because those three teams have all played each other, or well, one of them has played another in that three-team matrix there. And there's no easy way to kind of lump them after that. I'll tell you how you sort it out. Texas, Texas gets in. Bama, Georgia yep. is the way you have to order them. Bama Even beats though- Georgia, so that they win the head-to-head there. Texas beats Bama, they win the head-to-head there. Texas gets in, and if Florida State wins, we have a playoff with no SEC. And honest to God... I, I know that there are certain people who think, like, if you don't have the SEC, Saban said it. Not having the SEC in the playoff would be disrespectful. I think I heard Chris Canty on in Sportsman like, it would delegitimize the college football playoff. Stop. Not having the SEC in the playoff would be incredible. And if you watched the SEC this year, Tyler, like you and I did, mm-hmm. you know it wasn't that good. These no. top two, like, Georgia's a freight train. Good. But the West, it was kind of, what does Sylvie say? Circle of suck? It wasn't that bad, but it was a melting pot of mediocrity. Yeah. LSU's like defense. LSU, Ole Miss. It had very one-sided teams. Teams that only played either offense, they were all offense, or teams that were all defense, like A&M. Like, those were, that's what you dealt with in that division. And I just like, I, I'm okay if this SEC doesn't get represented. Enjoy the Peach Bowl. Have fun on New Year's Six. Like, I'm good with it. And I'm sorry if you think it's going to hurt the TV ratings to have Michigan, Texas, yeah. and Florida State in the playoff, and then Washington because they're undefeated Power Five. You're out of your mind. Yeah, It's not going to hurt the TV ratings. Michigan and Texas alone carry the entire SEC audience. Yes. We're good. Mm-hmm. Te- I mean, Texas getting into the playoff would be one of the biggest stories in sports this year because you you think about like tex like we've been longing to have Texas be quote unquote back right for ages now and you'd finally get it they would get their chance in the dance and we haven't seen it we have not seen this team be relevant for quite some time now that Sam Ellinger drop's going to get some oh, work oh yeah Texas is back. back. Yeah, that's that's gonna get some play. Texas makes the playoff. I honestly want it. Like my head when I'm when I sit down to watch Georgia Bama today, my head thinks Georgia's gonna roll them because this is still Zombie Bama to me. Georgia lines up; they're better at almost every position unit. I just feel that way. I think Carson Beck has come further than Jalen Milrow. Jalen yeah. Milrow's come a long way, but I like Carson Beck better. I like Georgia's offensive line better. I like their defensive line better. I like their ability to throw the ball with Brock Bowers, Lab McConkey. Like, this is a high-powered passing offense now. I like their defense. Like, 
everything about this game, my head goes Georgia rolls. Mm-hmm. My heart, I want Bama. I'll be rooting for Bama in this game. I, I want to see the chaos. I want to see it unfold. But, like, take the, take the oh, they always play this close. Take the, the rivalry aspect out of this. Where does Alabama compete? Because I don't see it. I don't see it. I like look at the way that Georgia has played, especially against some of these top tier teams where people are thinking that this is this is the one where Georgia finally lets down and can't can't hold up against one of these big boys here. But I look at everything on the football field from a football standpoint, and I don't see where Alabama competes. I don't either. Like that's what I'm saying. With my head, I'm like they can't be involved in this game. They just aren't good enough. And I'm sorry, I'm going to sit down and hope that they can. <laughs> and like Jalen Milrow has done so much. Maybe it's just ride the hot hand of Jalen Milrow and Nick Saban figuring out this kind of has to be a power run and we're going to try to make it work. Like this isn't going to fly if we just drop back and try to throw the ball 40 times. It's been effective. They ran it up on LSU. Yeah. Like, they went to Kentucky in a spot where you and I thought sleepy road game. That's a tough Kentucky team. They're not great, but they're good. They can hit you, you go, with a couple big plays. You go on the road and come within a point of hanging 50, and then I know everybody looks at, well, you go to Auburn after they lost to New Mexico State and you almost lose. Well, they were probably looking ahead. You survived the look ahead, and now you get to the game that you were looking ahead to. Like, this is where your focus was. And it has meaning. Like, yeah. this, if you get to this game and it has no meaning, I am bombing Georgia. Mm-hmm. Georgia's going to slaughter them if they lost to Auburn last week. But winning on a 4th and 31, not could it be tough to come back from that? Like the emotional high that you get from living on that total knife edge and winning yeah. the game on a miracle. You know, I texted you during that game too. And this was right before, no, no, no. This was right after. I wanted to text you before um, the 4th the and 31 or fourth and goal from the 31 yard line. You never see that scenario ever play out. But wh- how how many were they down? Were they down five at that point late in the game? Uh, I think so. No, they must have been down. Would have been down four. Four. Okay, down four. Do you think about on fourth and third, fourth and goal from the 31? Oh you, yeah. Do you think about kicking the field goal there? Because then you're because, down a point, you, but then you have to go onside kick, get the ball back. Right. You like you weigh the the odds of are you better off? What do you have a higher percentage of converting it, fourth and fourth thirty one? Fourth and goal from the thirty one, or recovering an onside and then leading a twenty yard drive to set up your field goal kicker, Will Reichert, who's been fantastic, maybe the best kicker in Bama history. One of the things I do like though is just Saban choosing to put the game on the arm of his quarterback. Yeah. And it's impressive that Jalen Milrow got to that point. Because I think you're right. If this is week five, then we still have that version of Jalen Milrow, the disaster at South Florida, and then the things <sighs> that came after If they don't have it. the lightning delay against South Florida, they lose the game. Like, if they don't have, if they still have that version of Milrow, I do think they kick the field goal and go for the onside kick. But because this Milrow has been so much better, and maybe it was confidence gained against an awful LSU defense and confidence gained on the road at Kentucky, and then you warm up with Chattanooga, and maybe it was just like, hey, this guy's been good. Let's give him a shot. But I think in that situation, you're not 
I don't care either way you do it. Now, you kick the field goal, you have a very slim chance of getting the ball back. You mm-hmm. go fourth and 31 and miss, the game's over. Yeah. Like Auburn's storm in the field immediately mm-hmm. after the incompletion. Yeah. It's, it, was one of, it was a great hypothetical I was thinking through because you never see something like that where you may have a better chance at recovering an onside kick, but they pull off the miracle somehow. I, just, I still can't believe they got a fourth and 31. I know. The, the best video I saw that came out of this was the guys that were watching in their basement and their stream buffered. Yes. Like right at the I snap. saw that yesterday. <laughs> and then they're Bama fans. They're sitting on the edge of their seats wondering what's going to happen with their team while the, the loading sign is coming up, circling on their, uh, on their television. And then they see Isaiah Bond celebrating in the end zone. After that, after it was incredible. The other one I loved was all the Auburn fans. Like they had, there were like credential field pass fans sitting around the end zone. They're geared My buddy's up. one of them. Are he, you kidding me? He, he's got like the. Is he an Auburn guy? No, he, he's uh he works in Columbus, Georgia. So, but like that is pretty much he basically covers Bama and um and the University of Georgia. Dude, but like jaw on the floor. I'm watching I'll show these you the picture people. At the break. I'm watching these people geared up, like they're almost in a track stance. There's kids in the like right off the bricks, first row at Jordan Hare, <laughs> that are hands on the rail, ready to jump over and rush this field, and then the the, the balloon just pops, and it's like it is incredible. Can you imagine that being like you're eight years old, right? There's no way. You're like, this is one of the best moments of your life at eight years old. You're at, at the Iron Bowl sitting right there, and your team, who's been awful this year, is about to pull off the upset of the year in the sport. And you just get your hopes dashed. <laughs> Listen, felt like being Welcome last night. Welcome to sports. Talk about Welcome a cosmic sports, kick in the kid. nuts. Yep. 312-332-3776 if you want to join us here. We'll take some of your calls when we come back and also dive into the Big Ten Championship. We've got Michigan. Ugh, we've why? got Iowa. Can the Hawkeyes score specifically in the second half? We'll discuss next. Shay and Tyler. Tyler. Chicago's college tailgate returns in a flash on ESPN Chicago. Chicago's College Tailgate has it all. Now back to the show with Shay and Tyler on ESPN Chicago. Big Ten Championship today in Indy. By the way, did you see the quote from Kurt Signetti, the the new Indiana coach? Hoosier Nation is fired up for this guy. I love it. I I love it. Love it. There was another coach, I think, that did this, too, a couple years ago. Yeah, I wish Jonathan Smith would do it. It may have been Tom Allen, now that I think about it. It may have been Tom Allen at Indiana. Anyway, he said that he's going to be at the game at Lucas Oil because he expects to be here next year. Love yeah, it. I love that. And he gets on the court. He says that. He says Purdue sucks, mm-hmm. but so does Michigan and Ohio State. This guy was on a bender. He's firing up the people at, at Assembly Hall. And it just, I, we haven't talked about this, you and I, yet. Mm-hmm. When Michigan State hired Jonathan Smith, I wasn't going to get picky, but he did his press conference. He didn't say a word about Michigan. He tertiary touched on the in-state rivalry and i was like whatever i don't need you to do it but i would have liked a i know that this is super intense and the goal is to 
win this rivalry and beat Michigan. Like a Michigan yeah. sucks would have gone a long way for me. And then to see Kurt Signetti go to Assembly Hall and just deliver Purdue sucks. I'm like, yeah, I could have asked for that. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. That's what college sports should be. Yes, it is. It it, it was great. And, and like, listen, Indiana football sucks. It has sucks. It'll probably, it will continue, it will to, continue suck. to suck. It, especially with the, the additions that are coming to the Big Ten. Newsflash, Kurt. You're not going to be an indie. You may be in the, a box again uh, in indie, but you're not going to be an indie for the reason you think you're going to be an indie. But I like the, I like the passion. I like the fieriness of it all. Like, good for him. Yeah, it's good to like a place like that where the program has been dead for so long. Like Antoine Randall L was the last <laughs> glimmer of hope that they had. What about and then Penix? They got Michael <laughs> Penix, but. You know, Kalen DeBoer leaves and goes to Washington, and now he becomes this incredible head oh coach. Oh, my God. And Michael Penix becomes this incredible quarterback. And it's like, boy, the void is just never-ending <laughs> if you're a Hoosier. You're just staring into the longest abyss to ever exist. And it just, I don't know. Kurt Signetti's probably not going to flip the program, but at least it's fun. He can try. Yeah. You know what it's going to be in Indy next year? Michigan and Ohio State. And you know what it's going to be in Indy the year after that? Michigan and Ohio State. And Because now there's no divisions, and those two are just going to rematch in Indy every single year. Certainly feels that way. Yeah. You'll get your splashes of Oregon, and Washington will probably be back there at some point, and USC will be good at some point, too. And those are going to be the, the intriguing ones to me when we do see the... Because, quite frankly, I'm sick of the game like we have today, where... You've got Michigan and you've got Iowa. You have Ohio State and you've got Wisconsin. And you know the result before the ball is kicked in the air. Iowa has zero chance to win today. Zero. None. Now, could they maybe cover our numbers? Sure. But when you've got a second half total that is set at half a point, you have no chance to win the football game. None. Vegas is telling you, that it is pretty much a 50-50 chance of you getting shut out in the second half. Where's the entertainment there? And that's why I'm happy that we're going to see a more competitive Big Ten championship moving forward. It's the format that every single conference should be adopting. You can keep your divisions if you want for rivalry's sake, for scheduling's sake, but from a who is going to play in our conference championship's sake... There should be no divisions. I know everybody made a mockery when the Big Ten went to divisions and adopted the championship game, and it was the leaders and the legends division. Mm -hmm. People were like, this stinks enough. Let's just go east and west. Well, you got your wish, and the Big Ten East has won nine consecutive Big Ten titles because the Big Ten West is a complete joke. It's just, it's a circus over there. Like Michigan State, Iowa is about as competitive as it's got a few years ago. And it yeah. was a 16-13 bloodbath rock fight type of game. That's about as close as it's been. Other than that, it's a lot of Ohio State 59, Wisconsin goose. Yeah. Penn State 38, Wisconsin 31, Ohio State bludgeoning Northwestern, Wisconsin Northwestern again, Michigan bombing Iowa and Purdue. Like, it's just, you're right. This flip will at least make this game entertaining, even if it is Michigan and, and Ohio State every year. For the conference itself, too, it's the best thing you could do to try to get two playoff teams. The absolute best. Like, yeah. If Ohio State was playing in this game and Ohio State won today, 
on a neutral field, guess what? You're probably getting two in. With the way some things could and already have shook out, you're probably getting two in. So if you're saying if it were the Michigan-Ohio State rematch. If today were Michigan-Ohio State and, and Ohio State wins, we're probably talking about two Big teams. Ten teams in the playoff, right? Or what? just Ohio State. The, the, this is the one thing that I do have an issue with, and I've mentioned this before. You're going to go this route, play Michigan and Ohio State in October. You can't marry yourself to it being the end of the year because we can't have twice in two weeks. Play this game in October. Do it like Oklahoma and Texas have done for years. But I think you get a situation like what we could have had in the Pac-12 last night where if you had played it as close as, well, when did when did Washington and Oregon play? What was it October six weeks 15th. ago? Okay, I, I still think like you have a chance to wipe the loss if you're both teams. Mm-hmm. Like you have beaten, you have avenged your only loss or your your biggest win. You you've also have have matched by a loss here. But like I look at this, and if Ohio State's playing Michigan, you already know Oregon's not going to the playoff. Florida State, if they lose today, Ohio State would have jumped them if they have a win against mm-hmm. Michigan under their belt. You're ahead of Texas in the rankings right now. Like, you're probably getting two. Yeah, I mean, from that standpoint, if that's what the Big Ten wants to do and the revenue share that you get from getting a playoff team. Getting one and now you get two? Yeah, and the SEC's been taking advantage of that for years. So this is the Big Ten's opportunity to do it. Probably when it was leaders and legends, it was the opportunity to do it. But Michigan, Ohio State, even them were in the same division. So I just... My biggest worry with it is we're going to get a lot of back-to-back, and I don't necessarily want that. I don't want the game. What's your, what's your opposition to it, though? You just don't want it? or I just don't think it's right. Like I don't want to see the game and then see the rematch every single year. I think it devalues what the game is. Like When you play it the final week of the year for so long, it had become the de facto Big Ten championship game, especially the last two, three seasons. That was the de facto mm-hmm. Big Ten title. Now, it like imagine if this were already set in stone that the format's changing and they're not going to have divisions and it's just the top two in conference. Michigan Ohio State last week means nothing because they're already both etched in stone to play in Indy. But there's no point in even playing the game last week. No, there still is a point in playing the game because now you're setting yourself up to get into the play. Like a win no, but pretty you much get, sealed Michigan's fate into the playoff. But you get my point. Like a loss also doesn't seal your fate out of it because you're going to play each other again next week and you know that. And then does it turn that game into a feel-out process instead of... Because really, whoever wins next week, that's the important one. Like I think you should move that game to the middle of October, mm-hmm. the way the Big 12 and the Pac-12 have done it with their rivalries for a long time. Oregon-Washington play in the middle of October. Yeah. Oklahoma-Texas, middle of October. Mm-hmm. Like Alabama-LSU, that's never the final week of the year. It's always the first weekend in November. Right. Why do we have to marry ourselves to Michigan-Ohio State for the sake of tradition when we're just going to create this back-to-back rematch that'll muck everything up? Because often now, that regular season game won't mean anything. If you put it in October... It'll mean something when it'll you play feel, it. Yeah, it'll feel like what we had with Oregon-Washington. I I don't... I wouldn't be upset if it, if we do get a back-to-back, because then I think it's just great theater in consecutive weeks. Yeah, so. but what if the nightmare scenario happens, and maybe not a nightmare for you, and we'll get into this a little more at 10 o'clock because mm-hmm. it plays into something I want to ask the people about, but you could theoretically 
play Michigan-Ohio State, the game, the final week of the year. Michigan and Ohio State play again in the Big Ten title game. Both get into the playoff. Michigan and Ohio State play a third time in a conference in a playoff semifinal. Yeah. That's a lot. <laughs> That's a lot. That's a lot. But I don't think the Big Ten's complaining about that. No, the Big Ten's not, but I might. That's yeah. a lot. Like it's, I just I think you devalue some of what are the great regular season games. That's yeah. I get what you're saying. I, I just wouldn't have too much of a problem with it. All right, Craig's in Michigan. What's up, Craig? Well, hey, yeah, I want to talk about um, – I love the conversation. Um, real quick on what you guys just said. And it's better if it's earlier in the year because now a team can rebound from the loss. I mean, if the loss comes recently, it's the, the opinion is, well, they lost last week. So if you lose earlier in the year against a, a meaningful opponent, it's not going to weigh as much. I, I think, I think it, it gives them a chance to rebound from that loss versus, like, losing it recently. Now, the thing I was going to bring up is suppose – Georgia wins, Florida State wins, everybody wins, you know, Michigan wins. Now I think an interesting thing would be how many points does Michigan have to win by so that they don't get jumped by Washington? Because Washington, in my opinion, is one of the best teams I've seen play all year. And offensively, I would put their offense against anybody in a two-minute offense with that quarterback. So I I just think that Washington could, could possibly jump Michigan if they don't handle their business the way they're supposed to. What do you guys think? Craig, are you a Michigan fan? Um, no, I, I'm, I'm from uh, Lansing, right down the street from Michigan State, but I don't hate Michigan like a lot of people do on the rivalry. So I, I root for them to win, uh, you know, just like I do any Big Ten team. If it's not Michigan or Michigan State, and then now it's Ohio State or Wisconsin, I'll root for them. I mean, I kind of keep uh, it. Conference over team there guy. I like go. it. Uh, Craig, I would say this. I was asking if you were a Michigan fan because it just it feels like something a fan might ask. My answer for how much does Michigan need to win by so they don't get jumped is, frankly, who cares? Like, we've seen the way that they seed this, right? It's all manipulated for TV ratings and matchups. Remember when Michigan, the great example of all time is when Michigan State made the playoff in 2015. Yeah. And they jumped the up. I think they jumped up. They were either five or seven. I can't remember exactly what. But they jumped up to three. And it was they had no business being ranked third. None. There was literally no argument for it. But it created Michigan State and Alabama, and it created an opportunity for what they wanted to happen in the national title game. So I, to I, me, I, agree with I wouldn't worry about it. And the other thing, too, Craig, is guess what? Two's going to play three. So it really doesn't matter if you're two or three. Well, I was wondering if um, there might be some some way that you know Michigan might get the shaft, in, you know, so to speak. I guess because and they get and they get dropped down in the rankings. I mean, I don't think they would they, drop to four. There's no world where they yeah. fall to four. Like Texas okay. won't jump them with a loss. Florida mm-hmm. State. The eye test won't allow them to jump Michigan. Yeah. There's no world where they the, fall to four. The only scenario that could play out here is Bama beats Georgia, and then are we talking about Michigan as maybe being number one? Michigan does become number one if Georgia yeah, loses. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. All right, hey, thanks for the hey, call, yeah, Craig. And, and, and you guys brought up – oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Are you guys still there? Yeah, yeah. Well, I was going to say, when you brought up the big plays, the Alabama play, uh, no row. It reminded me of, it doesn't happen very often, Doug Flutie. One year I saw Charlie Ward throw a fourth and 21. To, you know, they, they were, went on to win the national, champions, uh, national championship, stayed undefeated. So those kind of plays just don't happen very often where it's the last play of the game and it wins it and it's a long pass, you know, insurmountable odds, so to speak. 
And so that was just one of those historical plays that was epic, and yeah. you know, we'll, all, we'll all remember it for a long time. Good show, man. I appreciate you guys getting me on. Thank yeah. you. Thank you, Craig. Appreciate it. Craig is in Michigan, 312-332-3776. If you want to join us, let's take a few more calls when we come back here. Tyler Rocky, Shane Norling, this is Chicago's College Tailgate. Chicago's College Tailgate returns in a flash on ESPN Chicago. Now back to the show. Chicago's College Tailgate has it all with Shay and Tyler on ESPN Chicago. Talking college football with you, getting you ready for championship Saturday here. We're in about five minutes. We'll discuss. Are you going to miss four teams tomorrow? We will get our last four-team playoff before the playoff does expand to 12 next year. But real quick, let's take Jack on the north side. What's up, Jack? Shalom, gentlemen. This is Chad. Oh, but, Chad. Uh, bong yeah, water, Chad. Yes, it is bong water, Chad. How are you, What's gentlemen, up, Chad? on this lovely Saturday? Fantastic. Um, I, I know this is a soft spot for Shay because he's holding that ticket, but after the loss last night, does this take – Bow out of the Heisman, yes. and, 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 yes. and Dan, does Jalen Daniels have a chance even with the three losses? Because no, Jalen Daniels doesn't have a chance. Jalen Daniels is the Heisman Trophy winner. Twist the knife, Chad. He, you think he's flat down going to take it, even though the three losses, they're yes. not going to hold that against him? Because he is the best quarterback in college football, hands down, and he deserves that. Even if Bo would have won last night, that's the way I feel. The so. only way Jalen Daniels was losing the Heisman was if Bo Nix won the game last night. Bo Nix lost, and J- Jalen Daniels is your Heisman. It's over. I, I Like I said, I think he deserved it either way, but that's neither here nor there. I, I, I was rooting for you, though, because I know you're holding that ticket, so I was rooting for Bo. I really wanted to see you get that win. Um, Thanks for hanging in there with me, Chad. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, I, I in the trenches with you in spirit, my guys. You guys have a great day. Appreciate it, Chad. That's Bongwater Chad. How about that? Calling in on a Saturday. You know who I feel worse for? I feel worse for Anthony Catazone. You know he also had a Bo Nix ticket? One of our great sales guys here at ESPN 1000. He had a Bo Nix Heisman ticket, with, I think with similar odds, maybe like 30 to 1. I feel bad for him, too. You said you feel worse for <laughs> I him. I feel worse for him. Yeah. F you. <laughs> I'm sorry, Catazone. I feel bad for you, too. Yeah. All right. When we come back, are you going to miss the four teams? I also, we have a caller on the board, Walton LaGrange. I want to get his phone call in when we come back. All right. We'll well. do that, too. All that coming up next. Chicago's College Tailgate. Coming back in two minutes. Chicago's College Tailgate returns in a flash on ESPN Chicago.